church. Today's reading is taken from Acts 18, verses 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was tent a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if your Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. This is the word of the Lord. morning. Happy New Year to everyone. It's great to see you here. Um, it's great to start, I think Andy said this, right? Uh, what a nice thing to start January 1st um, with a service. Um, so let's pray as we get started. Lord, we thank you for this new year. We thank you, Lord, that um, your word goes forth, Lord. Um, and um, even though it started small in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Lord, it is now here, Lord, in Hong Kong. And we are fruit, Lord, 
of what the Holy Spirit has been doing for 2,000 years. I pray that as we come to this uh, passage today, Lord, that you would minister to us and that you would teach us your ways. In the name of Jesus, amen. So our text today, um, it continues to show this theme that's throughout all of the book of Acts. And the theme is, the Gentiles are eager to hear the gospel at the same time that the Jews are throwing away the gospel. And uh, they're throwing away salvation with the gospel. The book of Acts shows us that uh, God has been working through the Jews. Uh, Abraham's faith in, in Genesis, then Jesus' sacrifice in the Gospels. And now Paul in Acts, he is basically the messenger, one of, but one of the main messengers bringing salvation through all, uh, to all from the Jews. And uh, this salvation really is for all. It's coming to the Greeks, to the Romans, to Asians. Um, the verse in Matthew 24, 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. The problem at hand here can be put into this question. What if the Gentiles, and the Gentiles basically is anyone who's not a Jew. What if the Gentiles could not be part of God's plan of salvation? In other words, if only the Jews could be saved. That's a problem. About four years ago, for Christmas, I got a DNA uh, test kit. And I was so excited so excited about this DNA test. I wanted to know where I come from, right? Important. And I, I, I have to confess, I was really hoping that there was going to be just a smidge of Jew in me. Just, you know, just a little bit. If there's some Jewish in me, I would be so happy. As if I want to be 110% worthy of salvation, you know? 100% as a Gentile, but boy, another 10% as Jewish. And uh, sadly enough, this is actually mine. <laughs> sadly enough, as you can see, I hit everywhere but Jerusalem. Um, and so I'm, I'm very Portuguese, by the way, even though I'm from Brazil. <laughs> um, and so when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he was writing to people who primarily were not Jews. That would be kind of like us. And Luke wanted them to know that Israel was created through God's call on Abraham. God, although that's how it started, God always wanted everyone to be part of salvation, everyone to receive God's salvation. And so we're all invited into the family of God. And that was not a new plan that came after Jesus died. That was a plan that God had had from the beginning. I've heard many Chinese tell me, I'm not, I'm not a Christian because I'm Chinese, or I'm Buddhist because I'm Chinese. I hope we can see as we go into this text today that where we are born does not disqualify us to salvation. It does not disqualify us to being part of God's plan for our lives. And also that uh, Christianity is not a foreigner's religion. 
or that Buddhism or ancestral worship is the true religion for Chinese. So let's look what the passage has to say about that. So today we're starting a new series that's called The Church in the Cities. And this series covers Paul's, uh, it starts today with the end of Paul's second missionary trip. And then it goes on to his third and final missionary journey. Um, And so um, this, this is really when the gospel starts to take place in the world outside of, the, of Israel. Um, as an outline for today, uh, there are three distinct parts to the text that we just read. One is that God leads. The other one is that God calls. And the final one, God sends. And as we are going to see, there is a, there's this coming together of circumstances, open doors, and then also opposition. So, the first point, God leads. Embracing circumstance with God's perspectives. The text tells us that Paul went from Athens to Corinth. Now, that distance, it would be like going from Saikong uh, to Taio in the other side of Lantau. That's, that's about the distance between Athens and Corinth. And, and uh, Corinth was a really big deal city. It was where the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was located. And it was up in the mountain that was about as high as Lion Rock. So imagine... You have this city, and, you know, Lion Rock kind of sticks out. And in the very top of that, there's this temple to Aphrodite. And uh, over a thousand uh, temple prostitutes were serving at that temple. So there's people from all over that part of the world coming to this temple. So it was a cultural center. It was a religious center. And it was a financial center as well. Much like Hong Kong. Much like Hong Kong today. But here's an important thing. The Jews started rioting in Rome because they were mad about this new preaching of, about this Christ, this Jesus, who some claim to be the Messiah. And when the Jews start hurting, hearing about this, they start rioting. Remember 2019? That's kind of what the Jews were doing. And so... The emperor at the time got so fed up that he said, Jews, get out of Rome. And so a common place that many of them went was to Corinth, the city now where Paul finds himself. It's almost like, remember that Hong Kong was a place where a lot of people fled to after the World War II events and the years that followed that? A lot of people came to Hong Kong. So Corinth was kind of like that. Lots of people coming to that place because they were told to leave where they were at. If you think about it, the first century people of Corinth and the original readers of Acts, uh, Paul coming to Corinth was not that extraordinary. Everybody's doing it. Actually, what Paul did was pretty common to other Jews at the time. So as we see here, the extraordinary is not the fact that Paul all of a sudden is in Corinth, this big deal city. 
The extraordinary here that we need to see is how God used Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla being there, and what God wanted to accomplish through that. So it's a matter of perspective and understanding God's plans, which is very fitting for this time of the year, right? We come to January 1st, and uh, we're looking for, you know, what's going to be this year? Is it going to be better than 2022? We sure hope so. Better than 2020? Oh, can't be worse than that. So we're looking for God's perspective in what is happening. And so that's how we come to this text now. Why is it that Paul, the son, is in Corinth? Well, everybody's going there. But what is God up to? That's the big question. One of the clues to the answer here is a few, a couple chapters before, in Acts 15, 12 to 19. Now, this is after Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Paul's first missionary trip. And they go back to Jerusalem to give a report of what happened. So after that, this is what the text says. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, Apostle Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, this is James now, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning to God. So as we see here, the apostles now have a new perspective. They have a new perspective that uh, what God is up to here is that they are recognized that God has always wanted non-Jews the non-Jewish population of the world, to come to know him. And so they are starting to see that this is the time for that to happen. And so um, I have to ask a question here. How about, um, does, does it seem like that God wants to make it easy for Hong Kongers and everyone living here in Hong Kong to turn to him? Does it seem like plausible? Is that a plausible thing? Is Hong Kong right now the perfect place for the gospel to reach the hearts of many Chinese, Westerners, Africans, other Asians who are wanting to turn to God? And here's, a, here's a, an important question for today. And this will be, you need to answer this within a week. How are we to respond to the thousands of people coming in from the mainland in the coming days? How are we going to respond to that? Another clue to God's perspective in these favorable circumstances. These are circumstances that are favorable. is found in Acts 18.3, when the text makes a passing reference to Paul's trade as a tent maker. 
As we see in Acts 15, 16 here, the Apostle James talked about David's tent when he quoted the prophet Amos. And the description here is the, that of Israel's restoration, the tent of David. Maybe what the text here is trying to tell us is highlighting this theme of Israel being God's tent. That is God's temple for God's presence when it's talking about Paul being a tent maker. It's almost like Paul here is the personification of Israel's restored vocation as a light to the nations. Just like Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, and the tent being that, that recognition that God is here, and then maybe Paul being of that trade was also putting on this, this uh, idea forth. But let's not forget the most obvious reason for this is a practical one. And that is just that Paul, he was a tent maker because he needed money. And he needed, he needed money to do his ministry. And that's the most obvious of them. Um, as we see in Acts 18.5, when uh, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, circumstances here became more favorable because when Silas and Timothy came, they brought in with them money, money to support the ministry that Paul and the three of them were going to be doing. So, there's nothing wrong working and earning money so that you can do ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. However, because the finances were covered, Paul can devote all his time now to doing ministry. He doesn't need to worry about having to earn money anymore. People like me who are in full-time ministry, sometimes we look at the, at the book of Acts as a manual for full-time ministry or church planting. But if you think about it, the Bible was mostly written to an audience that was not in full-time ministry. They were people with normal lives. They were tradespeople, they were housewives, they were farmers, and so on. In other words, the, the audience most common, uh, the, most, the people that w- this was written to, they were common people with everyday jobs. Now, I remember um, a few years back, we had an AGM that we were talking about. We were discussing about the purchase of our church office, the church build, the, yeah, the church center. I don't remember who was the treasurer at that time. But I remember sitting in a chair and being so impressive at the treasurer and all the church members' expertise in finances. And how they were cracking these numbers, and they were like, and this is going to be like this, and this is going to work, and we're going to be able to do this. And I was like, I trust you. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but I trust you. And it was so amazing how people's vocations and people's, you know, it's what they do. They, they're in finances. And they were able to bless our community with their gifts and the things that were already their everyday life things. And so, um, we, this text challenges us to think about how our daily circumstances, uh, our jobs, our families, our other duties, 
they present themselves to us as God-made opportunities. The Bible, especially the gospel, constantly mentions people involving finances. You remember? It talks about tax collectors, rich rulers, wealthy landowners. And I think about how many people in Hong Kong are involved with finances and how applicable their vocations would be to bringing the gospel to more people. But here in our church community, we also have domestic helpers, lawyers, doctors, teachers, business owners, government servants. How could God connect the dots between his plans for the spreading of the gospel and our personal vocations? That's a question that we need to be asking. We go on to the next part of this text. It talks about um, looking for open doors for the Great Commission. Now, we remember the Great Commission, correct, of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the most common Great Commission that we quote, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is Jesus, not as an afterthought, but as, guys, understand, this is why I came. Now go and let everybody know why I came. So this is the Great Commission. Now, the text talks about open doors for this to happen. As Acts 18 continues, we see that nearly as soon as Paul is released to full-time ministry, because he has the finance, two things happen. One open, one door opens, uh, oh, I'm sorry, one door closes, and another even bigger one opens. Have you ever experienced something like that? An open door close, uh, a door closed, and an open door opens? Um, when uh, Kendra and I first came to, to Asia, or we're preparing to come to Asia, um, we spent five years getting ready to reach the Tibetans, the Tibetan people group. And To our surprise, when we finally moved to Asia, it was the hearts of the atheists and the Buddhists that were the most open to the gospel. Now, imagine if at that point we were like, yeah, I'm sorry that you're so eager for the gospel. We're actually here to reach somebody else. So, you know, we can't tell you about Jesus. Of course not. You see an open door like that, you walk. You walk through it. You don't, you don't. You don't need a lot of confirmation that this was from God. And so, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be in your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to Gentiles. Now, This declaration, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles, is a fact rather than a decision. The fact is that the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And the fact is that God always, always, always wanted the Gentiles to be part of his salvation plan. Another way to say this is that God... Never, God never wished to exclude some groups and include other groups. Or God never planned to condemn some types and save other types. 
Earlier in, in, in Acts, it talks about God shows no favoritism. There is none of that with God. 2 Peter, uh, Peter 3.9 and Ezekiel 18.23 tells us that God desires his salvation to come to everyone, everywhere, no matter their class, their race, their gender, or anything else. It says, the Lord is, now, is not slow in keeping his promise, and as, uh, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do I take the, any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their evil ways, uh, their ways and live? In Acts, Luke has been writing to the, the non-Jews, as we've been, ta- been seeing. God created Israel through his call to Abraham. And this call was always to bless everyone, not just the Jews. The Jews were a, a, a channel, but they were not the only, uh, the only goal for God's salvation. <clears throat> Luke wants to make sure that the Gentiles understand that when they are born, or where they're born, does not disqualify them from being loved and potentially redeemed by God. So, being born Chinese does not predestine you to be Buddhist. Nor does being born Filipino predestine you to be Catholic, or being born Indian predestine you to be Hindu. Where we are born does not disqualify us to salvation. So, one door closed, but another even bigger one opens. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door. And then this is where entire households were getting saved. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. And uh, we imagine that he was doing there. It was he was evangelizing and discipling um, the new believers. The text shifts focus here when Paul speaks, um, when the Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. And he says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, this is important for us to know that uh, this was not a promise that when you preach the gospel, there will be no opposition. If we think that, we would be forgetting Stephen's uh, martyr story and the other biblical accounts, including the horrific descriptions of Hebrews 11, 35 to 38. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. A more universal promise is, are these. In uh, John 16.33 and Matthew 28.20, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. And this is basically the same as the Great Commission. Keep on working the Great Commission. So we come to the last point, the last part of this text. And here, it's an important part where we see that uh, God has promised, or Jesus has promised to Paul, you're not going to suffer. But then there's this turn of events. In the gospel, here what we see is the gospel needs to go forth. It does not matter if there's political instability or if there's even disregard for the gospel. Because fruitful preaching is, happens despite opposition. So, we remember that uh, the Jews got kicked out of Rome because of the rioting. And now, the same thing is happening in Corinth. Jews are once again rioting because of the Christian message. And in Gallio, his response is, But since it involves question about words and names in your own law, Settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. This situation here at the end is so important. It was important then, and it is important today for us. Because when Gallio decriminalized the Christian message, he set the legal precedent that Christianity would not be illegal in Rome. So you see, he said, it's not illegal... And so, it's not illegal in anywhere in an empire. That's the first point. But the second one is also very important. And this probably Galileo didn't know that he was doing this. But he correctly placed Christianity as not opposing Jewish theology. It was not going to be this idea that Christianity was contrary to the Jewish faith. If anything, it was part of and fulfilling the theology of, of the Old Testament. And so now, because of that, Judaism had already been protected by Roman law. Well, Christianity is part of Judaism, so it's also protected, and that was very important. There are the discussions today continue about the separation of church and state. And uh, in the United States, we see that uh, that's a huge topic right now. And uh, we have the Supreme Court having to rule on whether the, 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 there is power in the government to force certain ideologies on Christians and churches. But also, should the thoughts and the ideas and the values of Christians be forced on those who are not? The discussion goes both ways. And so, this is not an easy thing to do. But our theology must inform our actions and our values. And this takes a lot of time, study of the Word of God, and prayer, and most of all, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, as we see, Acts here is 18 is showing us that there is the leading of God a lot of times happens through circumstances. Not always. Don't count just, you know, looking for circumstances as a leading factor in your life. But a lot of times, God leads through favorable circumstances or even unfavorable ones. But also, God calls us to open doors. 
And sometimes we come to those open doors and they turn out to be closed. But then another open door opens. And when he sends us, there is always the chance of opposition. There's always the chance of opposition. But the gospel will bear fruit. The gospel will bear fruit. So why do we go through these difficulties? Well, it's like giving birth. I asked Kendra, why would you go through this again? After nine months of uh, horrible discomfort with an ending that was not a lot of fun, why would you do this again ever? And the, and the, the answer is pretty simple. Well, I have a baby afterwards. And the fact that you have a baby afterwards that you can nurture and see this life taking form, it it makes it all worth. So she does it again for the second time. And so it's the same thing. Why do we go through opposition? Why do we go through the difficulties of preaching the gospel? Well, because there is always a chance that another Christian is going to be born. Another baby Christian is going to be born. And Jesus said, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The final call here within the three parts of Acts 18 is this. It's Hebrews, it's Hebrews 3, 7 to 8. So as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This call is both to Christians, people who already put their faith in Jesus Christ, and those who have not. If you have not, today's circumstance has brought you here. So that you can open your heart, open the door of your heart. And you can face any opposition. Opposition of your own thoughts, opposition of family, opposition of others. But there is a call here today to place your faith and to place your entire life in the hands of Jesus. So let's close our eyes as we, as we finish this. And if, if these words today... The circumstance of today, this time right here, is a time where you you feel that God is truly speaking to you. I would say, open your heart. Don't, Don't close your heart to Jesus today. Father, I thank you because uh, from the very beginning, you have wanted everyone to come to know you. You have wanted, Father every person in every nation to come to know you. And as we come, Lord, to this time now, as, as we finish this message, Lord, I say, Father, would you touch our hearts once again so that we can be open to what you have for us. And may we be blessed, Lord, because you have saved us. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.